actually going to, uh, that length of text is going to cover our first point today when we get there. Uh, there's more to, more to cover, and I'll read that uh, once I put my eyes on. And uh, so, again, as we, uh, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. As, as you're turning to 1 Corinthians 15, I wanted to share a story. Uh, the story is, a, is supposed, it's intended to be an illustration of sometimes being asked to do something that you're just not sure you're capable of doing. So I'm asking you to identify this in your own life as I, as I share a story from my life. This, my story, uh, this particular event, uh, taught me many things, but it was while I was at, at my chaplain officer basic course. Uh, for those of you who don't know, as a chaplain or as an officer, you have to go through what they call an officer basic course. When I was in... Um, uh, as I graduated college, I went to the Corps of Engineers uh, officer basic course, so, which lasted, I think, about four months. And then, then the, this, when I went, came back in as a chaplain, uh, I went to the chaplain officer basic course. So I had prior service. It wasn't prior active duty service, and I sometimes I have to explain that. But I, I had four years of, well, first of all, an Army brat. I grew up. My dad was military for 30 years. So I grew up in that environment. I did four years of ROTC, which was uh, I never really knew the benefit of it until I was actually placed in an environment where nobody else had that experience, and that's what you call chaplain school, right? So uh, you would have laughed heartily when it came to marching, all right? It was, uh, it was quite the spectacle. I wondered why everyone showed up with cameras that day, uh, and, and, and it, was, uh, it, it didn't disappoint, all right? So uh, we were supposed to do a, a left flank. And I went like this, and every, it was like a starburst went off, right? So chaplains are not necessarily known unless, uh, for, for uh, uh, knowing all this stuff before they get into the military. Uh, there were others that had prior service, like myself. And, and so I had already uh, completed airborne school, so I'd already been around uh, active duty uh, training. Uh, and I had served in the reserve as, as a lieutenant in the, in the Corps of Engineers. Uh, but when I got to the chaplain school, I did not want to hold a leadership position. I just didn't want it. I didn't know if I could do it. I had uh, this whole idea of being around these other chaplains that were of different faith groups, not just under a different denomination within Christianity, different faith groups. And I was really just, I just wanted to fly under the radar. And as you can imagine, at 6'3", that wasn't easy to do. And uh, I was slumping in my seat from day one. But it was about day two or day three where this event took place. And what it was is uh, the leader of our particular platoon, um, who was a major in the military, a chaplain, he, he pulled all of us that had the rank of captain. I was already the rank of captain when I came in uh, for, for the chaplain school. He came and he, and he pulled us off to the side and he, he asked the guy standing right next to me as we're standing in the hallway. And he says, what would you say if I asked you to fill a leadership position? And I was amazed at this guy's response, because he said, I would refuse to take it. And I'm thinking to myself, that's not, you just don't do that in the military. Of course, I knew as soon as he declined, and, and the guy didn't ask him. He told me later, I had my eye on you the whole time. As I just didn't want to start off that way to make it look like I'd already picked when he had and, uh, but I'm, this, this guy standing next to me was kind of roly-poly and, and uh, was, was, he, it was not in, in the greatest of shape. And so he started with him and he, and he got that response. And then he looks at me and he's like, what about you? And I, as a course, with all the training, sir, I'll do whatever you expect me to do. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. And that's what officers do in the military. They do what they're told to do, what they're asked to do. It's usually told. 
Uh, and in this case, he asked me to lead, so I took a leadership position when I really didn't want to. I, I, didn't, I didn't want this with every ounce of my being. But what I thought I was not ready for, God used to teach me more about myself and more about him. And that's where, as we think about uh, that, that illustration to draw you into your own experiences, and maybe you haven't had that experience yet, uh, I would encourage you, welcome those experiences. When God basically says, no, I'm going to tap you on the shoulder and I'm going to move you to where I want you because there is... Uh, Often some struggle, some difficulty, some embarrassment at times, but uh, there's also a great deal of joy and understanding and growing in the Lord. So at the end of this sermon, I'm actually going to ask every one of you who considers themselves a Christian, what about you? Are you ready to serve the Lord? This is not a campaign. This is not a a drive to, okay, the, the list will be in the back of the room and make sure before you leave, if you're a good Christian, you better sign up. I'm not going to guilt you into serving the Lord, but I am going to challenge you that you need to be serving the Lord. That is, unapologetically, if you call yourself a Christian, you need to be serving Him in the way that He has gifted and wired you to do. But as with any question uh, such as this, are are you willing to serve, you may have the answer, uh, the, the appropriate answer would be, yes, I'm ready to serve. Yeah, that's me. Put me in, right? But there are some other answers that you might have. You might have the answer of, I'm not ready. Okay? You might have the answer, I'm too busy. You might have the answer, I'm too tired. Now, I did kind of go through the uh, youth to elderly in that thinking process, right? I'm not ready. I don't have the experience. Uh, I'm too busy. I'm, are you kidding? I've got a job, I've got a family, I've got a kids, I've got multiple kids, I've got dogs, I've got responsibilities. And I'm too tired. And you might be thinking, it's somebody else's turn to serve. I've done my part. So all those are, are answers that basically culminate in the next possible answer, and that's just a flat out no. <laughs> are you ready to serve? No, I'm not. For those various reasons. Uh, because there's yes, I am ready to serve, no, I'm either too, uh, not ready, too busy, too tired, or some other uh, reason. Uh, but n- regardless, the answer is no. Uh, and then there's a final answer that I, I actually w- would like you to consider. And that is, I need a break, but I will be ready to serve again soon. Because the reality is, 10% of the ministry is done by 90% of the people. Or if you're in other churches, it's 20% of the work gets done by 80% of the people. Uh, in a healthy church... Ministry gets done by the body. And let's not, let's not figure out what percentage we're in. Let's just step up. And the, the, the challenge today in this message is to step up. And, and this is not me saying, you wicked Christian people, will you get off the you-know-what that you're sitting on and, and work? No, because there's many of you who are. But there's, there's reasons we are called to serve. And Paul's going to draw us into some very prominent reasons that we have a responsibility to serve. So please consider your answer to the question, what about you? Are you ready to serve as we go through this sermon? All right, so in the last couple weeks of of our study here, uh, we've considered a a few different um, big ideas. 
All right. In verses 1 through 11, we consider the big idea that the gospel saves a life so that the lives of others can be saved. Imagine that. The, life, uh, the gospel saves a life so that the lives of others can be saved. We are here congregating as a group of believers and more than likely unbelievers in the room. Right? Let's, not, let's not shy away from this. Church is about equipping saints for the ministry. The majority of us in this room ought to be believers. But there are those within our midst on any given Sunday who do not understand the gospel. And Paul goes to great pains in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 15 to say, Listen, I came to you, Corinthians, and I brought the gospel with me. You came to faith in that gospel. You you committed to it. And he's drawing them throughout the book. Stay committed. Stay committed. Stay committed. Don't live in an immoral life. Don't think that you're all high and mighty. Don't have divisions in the body, right? Let's stay committed in the gospel because the gospel saved your life and it will save others if we will just live as a healthy body and share the gospel and live the gospel wherever we go. So if you don't understand the gospel today, you're not alone. I went to church the majority of my life. I will say I went to church Almost, I could probably count on two hands the number of times I missed church between the age of zero, or one minute, and the age of 19. And, I mean, we were church-going people, but I didn't know the gospel until someone shared it with me. And the gospel is simply this. Everybody who's born in, been born in this world, other than Jesus Christ, is, is a sinner on their way to eternal separation from God. And we call that hell. And let's not shy away from that, folks. It's bad news that every single person is born into the life of a sinner and is in need of a Savior, is in need of salvation. The good news of the gospel, which that book will speak about, which Pastor Joe is introducing us to, and this group's going to encourage one another, is, is we get to go out and share this good news into our community, into the lives of people who do not understand the very thing that is supposed to have changed our life. So let's get busy about doing that. And if you do not understand that you are a sinner, please understand, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what Romans 3 teaches us, right? Is that we have all fallen short. We all sin. And that we can have our sins forgiven. If we, if we, are, uh, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wouldn't it be nice to know that your sins are forgiven? Yes, that's good news because God doesn't just say, forgive, run along and play until you sin again. He says, no, your sins are forgiven, past as many as they are, present as ugly as it might be, future. What? My future sins are forgiven? In Christ they are because he died and he paid for all sin of all time, for all people. And the good news is this. If you will just come to a simple faith in what? and who Jesus is, and what he has done on your behalf, you too will have your life saved and the ability to share others, let others know the gospel and see their lives saved as well. I hope you've had the experience of leading another person to Christ. There is no stronger medicine for for an unhealthy Christian than to lead another to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Then we went on in our study and we discovered that in verses 12 through 34 that our future resurrection gives us gospel-centered purpose for living today. 
Our salvation, but what we've experienced as Christians, it, it, it talks about this future resurrection. Just as the resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential for us to, under, to come to faith in him, right? A, a dead Savior who stayed dead is not good news. We have a Savior who died on our behalf and has risen, and has, he's resurrected, and he was, it was witnessed to by over 500 people, it says in those first 11 verses of chapter 15. And he's ascended into heaven, and he's coming again. We're going to talk about that at the end of the service. He's coming back. And so come to faith while you can, but understand this. If you call yourself a Christian, your future bodily resurrection gives you gospel-centered purpose for your life. I think I asked you last week, what gets you out of bed as a Christian? It ought to be the gospel. There ought to be some aspect of you waking up in the morning and saying, you know, as I recall, my life is different today than it was before I came to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. I remember back to 1985 when I came to faith. And I can remember what my life was like at that time. And have I sinned since then? You betcha. I regret every one of them. And I've repented from every one of them. And I continue to repent. Lord, forgive me for my short-sightedness. Forgive me for my short temper. Forgive me for that, that extra look. Forgive me, Lord, for that, for that condescending comment to, to, to someone. Right? Because we're all works in progress. None of us has arrived in the sense of having the full expression of our salvation. It is, it, we are believers we're secure. Our salvation is in Christ. We, are, we have an inheritance reserved for us in heaven, but there is, we haven't realized it yet. We haven't lived it in full capacity yet. It's coming, and it comes after the resurrection. So our bodily resurrection is a testimony that we have faith in Jesus Christ, and our faith is genuine, and it gives us purpose for living today. It's nice to have life that's purpose, isn't it? And so Paul is leading the Christians in Corinth to consider their response to his teaching about the bodily resurrection of Christians. And, uh, and he wants them to know it's nice to have purpose. But having a purpose and fulfilling that purpose are two different things. Have you thought about that? I mean, I have purpose in life. I have purpose for the day. Uh, my chaplain assistant, when I was in uh, one, one of them, he, uh, he lived by the list. Do you guys have a list? That to-do list. And he lived to check those things off that to-do list. I don't have a list, right? I just like, well, you know, which way now? Squirrel, you know? But he, he lived for this list, and so his purpose was to check things off that list. But you know what? If he never got out of bed, it would never have happened. So there's a difference between uh, having a purpose and fulfilling that purpose, and so that brings us to the big idea for today. In 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 58, uh, we see that our future resurrection— that we have because of what Christ has accomplished, it gives us gospel-centered responsibility for living today. So we have both purpose and a responsibility to fulfill that purpose. And so I, I'm challenging you today. This is a let's get real with our Christian life, all right? So let's look at the, uh, the end of the chapter before we uh, begin here. I'll just leave that up there for the big idea for the day. But we're going to actually start at the end of the chapter and then go back to the beginning. So look, look with me uh, at uh, verse 58. All right? So we're going to begin with a challenge to take responsibility to live out our faith in the now, in the constant presence, present, uh, so that we can also live it out tomorrow and the next day and the next day, every day until Jesus returns, right? He says he's coming back. Let's live faithfully to that point. So he says in, in verse 58, which is the practical expression of everything he's taught in chapter 15. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, 
and I like to add in there, and cistern, all right? Uh, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So this, this verse, as I said, is the practical application of all that he was uh, writing, chapter 15, uh, in response to the resurrection from the dead. He says, the resurrection is important, all right? And now, in light of that, do this. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And so as we consider the fact that there's both believers and unbelievers in any church gathering, and certainly we have people joining us online that will watch us later, uh, there are already those who already believe in the resurrection. And that's great. So he's going to explain it a little bit more, the significance. But then there are those who don't understand the resurrection, and he's going to help them understand that as we go through. So if we consider this big idea, our future resurrection gives us gospel-centered responsibility. What responsibility is he saying that, that we have in light of chapter 15, verse 58? Well, he says, first of all, we are to be something. That word be is the idea of in the present. It is the now. It is the you are, you are something and you ought to be something. And there's two ways to take it. There's a way of I'm already this thing, so continue to be it. Or I'm not this thing, so you need to start being. And I, as, since we know there's, there's, there's uh, uh, many different uh, uh, people in any given room, you know, take that word and apply it. As we look at this, if, if, uh, if the B is you already, praise God. If it's not, get on, get on with being. All right? Uh, the first one, he says, we are to be steadfast in the now. Steadfast is that idea that um, in the context it's being, uh, uh, it means, I'm sorry, it means to be firmly established in something, to be steadfast, to fast, to stand fast, right? I think there's some command in the military, stand fast, or is that out of pirate movies? You know, I forget, I forget, right? Um, Or is that walk the plank? Sometimes I feel that might be appropriate for me sometimes too. The word steadfast means to be firmly established, but firmly established in what? The gospel. Paul has been telling the Corinthians, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. If you will just allow the gospel, not only did you, were you saved by grace, but you can live by grace. It's the gospel. It's for every person at every moment, right? And there's never a time in your life where the gospel is not supposed to be influencing the way you live. So this idea of being established, firmly established, is the idea of the gospel, uh, being established in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like I said, not everybody understands the gospel. Not everybody understands it. I, I, I sat with a group of people one time and said, share the gospel with me. It was a group of teenagers. And, and I left the room after an, uh, about 45 minutes. And I said, we got to go. But just say, no, I'm still lost. These were Christian school kids whose parents were active in church, and they could not explain to a biblical satisfaction where the gospel is. And, and uh, it woke them up, actually. Uh, but we might think that just because we came to a genuine faith in Jesus Christ, that we're good to go. And this is, I'm going to push against that. I'm going to challenge that. Are you full, uh, firmly established in the gospel? Uh, some of you may be new Christians, right? New to the faith. And, and you're just trying to learn everything. Well, keep learning. Keep growing. Uh, as you commit to growing uh, you will be firmly established. Some of you have been Christians for many years, and you have to ask yourself, it's a legitimate question. It's not a guilt-ridden question. None of this is intended to make you feel guilty. It is supposed to challenge you. I pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life and in yours as, as these words are spoken. But how is your health as a Christian? 
Not every Christian is spiritually healthy. Um, have you ever watched a, a Christian go from health to unhealth? It's not a pretty picture. How does a Christian go from, I can't get enough of Jesus Christ and serving him, to, well, I go to church. Or, well, you know, I read my Bible. It, there's a spectrum there, all right? I love spectrums. This is one of them. I cannot get enough of Jesus Christ, of knowing him, loving him, knowing how he's worked in me, forgiving of my sins. Oh, my word. I'm just so ecstatic to be a Christian, to, well, yeah, I, I, are you a Christian? Well, I go to church. Well, how influential is it? Well, you know, I read my Bible. Folks, listen, it's not satisfactory. It's not. It's just not. It's like going from, send me in, coach, to, you know, I like it on the bench. It's comfortable. It's safe. God would not have us to live that way because we have a, a gospel-centered responsibility for living, for living out our faith to God's glory and to the salvation of others and the edification of others. He says, listen, be steadfast. Then he says, be immovable. Well, what does that mean? This idea is mean to be steady, to be unwavering, to be unshaken. Well, that sounds like me, right? No, it doesn't sound like me all the time, all right? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean to be sinfully stubborn. I'm not moving. That's my seat. That's my parking space. That's, that's my ministry. That's my church. This is my church. No. No, that's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being immovable in the gospel. The gospel has made such an impact on ourselves that everything that comes against us, right, we see in light of the gospel. Everything is filtered through the gospel. The reality of life is that it is difficult. And there are times when life gets hard and sometimes Christians are shaken to the point that they drift away from active life in Jesus Christ. That's what Hebrews 2 says. Listen, listen, uh, don't, for, don't neglect so great a salvation. You will drift if you're not actively engaged in your Christian life, if you're not actively serving the Lord, if you're not actively living out your gospel-centered responsibility as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are in a drift. And that's not a good thing. Don't drift as a Christian. We're supposed to be steadfast and movable. And then he goes on to say, we are to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. This is... this. This is where the rubber meets the road for Christians, all right? Uh, we are to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. The idea of, of always abounding is to give oneself fully. Not, ha not half-heartedly, not in pretend. You know, it's like, Greg, go clean your room. Okay, kick everything under the bed. Make sure the bed looks neat, but kick everything under the bed. I'm going out to play. That's me. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> wow, not alone, right? That's half-hearted obedience. We are called to live in full obedience. We are called to, to give oneself fully to, to this work of the Lord. Well, what's the work of the Lord? Do I have to say it? Will you say it with me? The work of the Lord is the gospel. That's what the work of the Lord is. Everything is the work of the Lord. Everything is the gospel. Because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the idea of to be engaged in something. Uh, engaged in what? Well, it says the work of the Lord. So are you ready to serve the Lord? There's the question I asked at the beginning. I'll ask it at the end. Here's it kind of in the middle. 
Uh, and it says, are you ready? Well, what about you? Are you ready to serve the Lord? Well, what does the work look like? Well, if we consider the previous two big, big ideas, uh, first we can say it looks like living out the gospel in your life and sharing the gospel with others. What does the work look like? The gospel is good news which has saved us uh, and will save others also. Maybe we need some encouragement in, in evangelism. Well, you know what? You can do that. All right? Maybe that work means that uh, we have purpose in this life, and the purpose in this life has eternal significance. We would not be saved without the love of God and without the love of someone who shared the gospel with us. All right? I, I just I believe that to be true. So we are to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, uh, and when we are being these things the con- in the constant now, our labor, the Word of God says, is not in vain. We're talking about vain during Wednesday nights as we were in Ecclesiastes. It's not empty. It's not meaningless. If we're involved in, in, the, in the work of the Lord, we are involved in something that is purposeful and is, has, and is powerful. But I want to look at uh, two ways. And, and I, I, I spent a lot of time on that one verse because I think that's Paul's message. He's saying, listen, in light of everything else, would you be this steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord? For when it's in the Lord, it's not vain. It's not meaningless. But there's two ways that we're going to talk about why our labor is not in vain. Because it has nothing to do with ourselves. Remember the gospel. It has nothing to do with us. It's all about Christ. So when we consider this, I want to consider our responsibility is tied to our identity in Christ. This is beautiful. As we look at verses 35 through 49, which we've already read, and I'm not going to read again. All right? I'm not gonna read, I don't have time for that this morning. I'm not going to read it again. We've already read it. I'll hit some highlights of it. But notice what Paul says. He says our identity in Christ is tied to the idea of bodily resurrection. This is part of our identity. But it gets more explicit as we get through. All right? In verses uh, 35 through, seven, uh, through 37, Paul confronts those who do not believe in the resurrection from the dead. And he calls them foolish. At the beginning, he says, you know, my beloved brethren and sistren, right? He says, listen, you beloved, but there's some within you who are foolish. These are probably the, the, those that are, do not understand the gospel. He says, remember, uh, these are people, uh, excuse me, he calls them foolish. And I think we ought to remember that these are the people that think that they're anything but foolish. They think they're wise, super wise, super knowledgeable, super spiritual, but these are the people who are divided. I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, you know all that. These are the people that are, that are approving of immorality, which not even the Gentiles participate in. He was saying, no, you have things quite backwards, you foolish people. And so he does not give a straight answer to the first question of how are the dead raised up, because his answer to the second part of that question kind of answers it. How are, how are the dead raised? It's God, dummy. Right? That's what you can see him say. It's It's God. Of course it's God. But before he makes it clear that a Christian's identity in Christ includes bodily resurrection, Paul gives a series of illustrations to demonstrate that uh, what they refuse to believe regarding the human body, the fact that a a dead body can be resurrected, uh, it's already demonstrated in God's creation. So notice the illustrations. There's three of them. Uh, The first one is grains uh, or seed. And he says, listen, perhaps uh, you you, you know what a grain is. Uh, the seed is one body, verse 38, and, and the, the fruit is another form of a body. They don't look the same. The seed in the ground and the fruit on the tree do not look the same. 
God is credited with giving each particular crop its two forms, the seed and the harvest. And so his illustration points to the reality that there is some sort of transformation that takes place between the two. And that same is true for flesh. That's what he says in verse 39. And uh, He's, listen, there's all kinds of flesh. There's flesh of humans, of animals, of fish, of birds. There's all kinds of flesh. And we know that to be true. We can see it. They could see it. But the seed of each, each one of those flesh, types of flesh, have their own seed, and they produce similar flesh. So there's variety, but he says, listen, there's also a transformation that comes there. And then he says, look to the sky, you, you, believe, you non-believers in the resurrection. Not only is there a difference between seed and harvest and between different forms of flesh, there is a difference in the, in the amount of glory that it's ascribed to each by God, because God has given the various, various parts of his creation different levels of glory. He says, illustrate, the third illustration is the sun, moon, and stars. He goes, just look at creation. You're saying there's no such thing as a resurrection, but you know that God is God. He's, he is able to do all things. How can you say that there, there can't, there's a, a resurrection of Jesus Christ, but not a resurrection of those who follow him? It's ludicrous. You know it's true uh, just by looking at what he's done in creation. God is able. So now that Paul has made it clear that they uh, already understand the transformative power in the present of their creation, of God's creation, all right, he explains that the same is true for the natural body that transforms into a spiritual body. So let me just make a point here to make sure I'm very clear. The natural body and the spiritual body, uh, we haven't read the text yet. Oh, no, we actually have read the text. Excuse me, we have read this text. It's, it's talking about Adam and Jesus. Adam's the natural man. Jesus is the spiritual man. But don't get caught up with that word spiritual. We're talking about a physical natural man and a physical spiritual man. Jesus was not just spirit. He was flesh and bone. He died on that cross. He bled. He died. He was buried. Praise God, he resurrected. That's the good news of the gospel as we understand it. So this transformation is only possible, the one that Paul's describing to Corinthians, for those who are in Christ. And that's why we plead with you, if you do not understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, that your sins can be forgiven, and that if you will just call out to him and, and, and just pray, Lord, forgive me, based upon what Jesus, who Jesus Christ is and what he's done, uh, Lord, forgive me for my sins, because Jesus paid it all, right? We sing that song. Listen, this, this transformation that takes place is only true of those who have come to a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. So notice the way Paul describes the differences between the natural and the spiritual bodies, right? Uh, the natu- he says, first of all, one is sown in corruption, is raised in corruption. It's sown in dishonor and raised to glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown natural, it is raised spiritual. There is, a, he says very declaratively, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. You deniers of the resurrection, you're wrong. There is a spiritual resurrection that takes place, a physical body that is like Jesus' body. When he resurrected from the dead, he didn't, it, it was different. It was somehow different. It's, it's, he's perfect. Remember, they didn't recognize him at first, right? It's different, but yet the same. It is without, of course, he never had sin, but we're, what Paul is telling us is for us as believers, we have this natural body, but it's going to transform into a spiritual body like the body of Jesus. And when we see the identification come through in, the, in this idea that the responsibil- our responsibility to, to um, do what we've been called to do is tied to our identity in Christ. Notice as we get to the end of this portion, 
He says in verse 48, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. All right? As, as was the man of dust, all right, so also are those who are made of dust. Adam is made of dust. Genesis 1 and 2. All right? We are his children. We're just dust. He says, but those of, uh, as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. If you're in Christ, you're part of that. Verse 49 says, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Listen, if you want to know how in the world you're going to get through the day, our responsibility to do what we've been called to do, to serve the way we've been called to serve, is tied directly to our identity in Christ. You don't serve just because it's a nice thing to do. You serve because your God has called you to serve. Your God has equipped you to serve. Your God expects you to, uh, to, to serve. And we are supposed to serve. So let's get serving. Our responsibility is to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. It's tied directly to our identity in Christ because it is only in His power that anything of eternal significance can take place. And that's what we got to hold on to. But there's a second reason, uh, and this is this. Our responsibility is tied to our victory in Christ. This is really the good part of the good news, right? There is victory over sin. Uh, we haven't read these verses They're familiar verses. I didn't want to read them in the beginning because I wanted to enjoy reading them myself. That's the honest truth. I just wanted, I love these verses. These are the verses that I will share at a graveside service. Uh, I I will go to a graveside service of a believer and I will read these words. And every believer that is present is grieving, but they're also rejoicing about the truth that it is proclaiming. The transformation from the natural to the spiritual is essential for a person to enter into the presence of God for all eternity. He says in the beginning there, in, uh, uh, in verse, sorry, in verse uh, 50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. So this is, this is the stark truth, right? This is, this, is, this is what they had to understand. To come into God's presence, you can't have just natural flesh. You must have the spiritual flesh that only those in Christ will have. This should remind you, because it reminded me, and as I was listening to another preacher preach on this passage, I like to do that, uh, just to see what other people are saying. It's like, and I was thinking, man, this reminds me of Nicodemus. And no sooner was I thinking of the guy's like, what about John chapter 3? When Jesus is walking, talking to Nicodemus, and he says in John 3, 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. That rocked Nicodemus' world. What? Can a, can a man, can a, can, a, can a person crawl back into his mother's womb? No, you're, you're missing the point, Nicodemus. There is a physical birth and there is a spiritual birth and you must be born again, which means you must come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. So our responsibility is tied to our victory in Christ. Well, what, kind of, what does this victory look like? He says in verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. That word mystery means that it was previously kind of hidden, right? It was a little hints here and there. It was a mystery. Like, well, I'm not sure what that means. But now it's been revealed. Behold, I tell you a mystery. These are the words that should bring life to you. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. Who's the all? Those in Christ. Those who understand their identity is in Christ and their victory is also in Christ. Verse 52. 
He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. What? Incorruptible. We're not dealing with this corruption anymore. We're raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. There's that transformation word. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and, and when this mortal has put on immortality, right, when that is true, when the flesh, when the natural flesh has turned into spiritual flesh, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, Paul explains, and the, sting, uh, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know how you're supposed to fulfill your responsibilities in this world? Understand that your identity is in Christ and your victory is in Christ. We can live victoriously. Romans chapter 6 says we are no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to righteousness. We're free. We're free to say, Lord, I'm free to serve you. I'm free to love you. I'm free to obey you. I don't have to live with all this sinfulness anymore, this, this, uh, this disbelief and this, all the things that I, I characterized my life before Christ. I'm free. He says, listen, death is swallowed up. Jesus has come to kill the last remaining thing. What's he going to do? He's going to kill death. He's going to destroy death. It'll never infect the world ever again. That was from the previous passage. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where's your victory? He says the sting of death is sin. Sin stinks. Sin is not fun. It's fun for the moment for, for most people. They wouldn't do it otherwise. They, they somehow think it's going to offer them something, and then it doesn't pay out. It just doesn't. And so then there's guilt, and then there's regret. And, and that's okay, because if that brings repentance, that's beautiful, because that be, that's, that's what God desires, is us for to repent from the sin. He says the strength of the sin is the law. The law was given so we would know what sin is. Don't eat of that tree, right? Ooh, I want to eat of the tree. Uh, don't, don't, don't touch that VCR, right? That was for our kids. That's a no touch, right? They're going to stick their hand right in that slot, right? That's what they're going to do. You know they're going to do it. It's just like uh, no touch. It happens every time, right? Little kids just love to do that because they're just little sinners, all right? The sting of death is a law, but uh, excuse me, the strength of the law of sin is a law. But verse 57, just before our challenge, verse of 58, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The whole chapter, this is from, um, this is from um, one of the commentaries I was reading. I thought this was helpful. This whole chapter serves as a call to faithful Christian service in the assurance that comes from the resurrection. This whole chapter serves as a call to faithful Christian service and the assurance that, that comes from the resurrection. The assurance that sacrifices made for Christ and his kingdom are not made in vain, but will be richly rewarded in the fullness of that kingdom. Right? We, don't, we, don't, we don't appease God by our good works. We know that. But when we come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, our works glorify God. Our works are important. It doesn't appease God. It doesn't, it doesn't somehow say, oh, I, I forgive you for your sins because you've been such a good little boy or little girl. No, that's not what it is. It's like, no, I've come to faith in Jesus Christ. All right, you are a child of God. Now live for him in the power of the gospel. So here's the question again. What about you? Are you ready to serve the Lord? But wait a minute. 
Before you answer that question, consider a third responsibility. Our responsibility is tied to our participation in the Lord's Supper. We're going to practice the Lord's Supper. If you haven't, I meant to mention this. If you don't have one of these little doohickeys here, all right, with the, with the bread and the juice, uh, raise your hand. Someone will get it to you, all right? If you don't have one and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, right, you've come to faith, genuine faith in Jesus Christ, then, then I would encourage you, please, make sure you have one of these as we participate in a very significant practice uh, of healthy churches, all right? So there's one more point to consider before you answer. Are you ready to serve the Lord? And that is this. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming that we are identified with Jesus in his person and his work. We are saying, I'm a Christ follower. I I acknowledge what he did on my behalf. And I'm going to live my life in light of that. And and so when when we participate in this, this is a sacred event, but it's not a sacrament as most people talk about a sacrament. It, by, by ingesting the bread and the juice, it does not somehow miraculously make us holy from the inside out. Nope, that's not the way it works. Christ has made us holy from the inside out. The participation here is a symbol saying we identify with that holiness that we have been given, the righteousness that we have in Christ. So I, I started thinking, how can I make this practical? Our responsibility is tied to our participation in the Lord's Supper. Our responsible, uh, excuse me, our responsibility um, to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. How is it tied to the Lord's Supper? Well, here's this question. Dare we participate in the Lord's Supper and not fulfill our responsibility? This is saying he did it all. This is saying we are to respond. Every moment of every day, our participation in the Lord's Supper is saying, we agree with this, Lord. We desire to honor you, in, not only in the, in the practice of the Lord's Supper, but in what it stands for. I, I started thinking, I didn't, ask, I didn't have time to ask this in the first question, but what if the gospel was dependent upon our proclamation of it? What, what, if, what if the world was dead and going to hell, and we were the only ones who possessed the gospel? Would we be motivated to do something? Would world missions, would global missions be a thing? Would there be those within our congregation that would rise up and say, here am I, Lord, send me? I think that's a sobering question to ask. Because when we fall into the trap of thinking, this is my church, this is the way we do things, and and this is is the way it it ought to be, and and, and we're right, then, then we might be not in the right place. We might not be healthy. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, we have to ask us these questions. And, and listen, are you willing to go to the uttermost parts of the world with the gospel? Are you willing to allow your children, your grandchildren, to go to the uttermost parts of the world? And we might be like, yeah, yes, I'm excited about Jesus. I want to serve Jesus, and I want them to. Fine, will you go next door? Will you go to your family? Will you live out the gospel in your workplace so people will know he or she is different and I want to know more? 
When we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are saying that our identity is in Christ. And we are saying that, our vic- that His victory is why we are able to come into God's presence. So before you examine the question, or before you answer the question of whether or not you're ready to serve, let's go ahead and just examine ourselves as we're challenged to in 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 27, says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. This idea of our responsibility to, to, to be steadfast, unmovable, uh, constantly abounding, right? Always abounding in the work of the Lord. This is fleshed out here. He's saying, listen, if we're doing that, we're not going to fall into the trap that some of the Corinthians did, which was to treat it lightly and to not emphasize what needs to be emphasized. So what I like to do is just take a moment and ask you to, to examine yourself. It's, it's a biblical injunction. It's, it's a challenge to us. But how are we going to examine? Certainly examine yourself for sin. Certainly Am I, in right, am I in a right relationship with, a right fellowship with God? Am I in right fellowship? Well, actually, let's back up a step. Am I in right relationship? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? That's the first thing I'd ask. If your answer is no, don't participate. If you come up and say, am I in right fellowship with the Lord? In other words, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not living in sin. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm seeking to honor God in, in, in on my life. Then, then, then praise, the God, praise God for that. All right? But if you're not in good fellowship with the Lord, you're, you're, you're living in sin, you have something that's gnawing at you, it's like, I really need to let this go out of my life, I need to repent from this, then repent of it and participate in the Lord's Supper. Don't, don't wait. Don't, don't think you have to walk out of here, get on your knees and, and, and whip yourself. Don't, don't do that, right? No, the gospel says it sets you free. So be free indeed. Repent in this next moment or two. If there's not a healthy relationship, maybe you have something against a brother or sister in Christ. Repent of it now and make it right later. Hopefully you could have made it right before this, but if not, repent now. Participate in the Lord's Supper, but follow through. Follow through and make, your, make that right. So as we consider this, you know, there may be some other areas that, that you are considering that, you know, I just need to ev- examine myself. So just do that on your own. We'll be quiet for just a moment, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father, we are just flesh and blood. We are sinners saved by grace if we're Christians, uh, and we might just be sinners if we're not Christians. And so, Father, help those who are not Christians this morning to understand your grace, your, your free gift of salvation that will come to them if they will acknowledge Jesus for who he is and, and acknowledge that what he did on the cross was the only thing necessary to be in a right relationship with you, to have your sins forgiven, uh, to their sins forgiven, Father. We pray that you'd help them understand that. But believers are flesh and blood too, and we struggle, Lord. We struggle in relationships. We struggle with our private lives. We struggle with finances. We struggle with all kinds of things. Father, we pray for your forgiveness. We pray that you'd help us to to examine uh, the way we're living out our life and saying if it's not in, in 
in line with the gospel, then Lord, whatever that is in, in each person's life, bring them to a, a sense of conviction. And then let them participate in this beautiful picture that you've given to us of the Lord's Supper. Father, maybe there's relationships that are, that are strained a little bit. Maybe they're strained a whole lot. The reality is, Father, the only way we can have healthy, truly healthy relationships is for our relationship to be based in Christ. If it's a relationship with a lost person, we love them to salvation. If it's a, if it's a relationship with a, with a fellow believer, we love them because of our salvation. Lord, give us the ability to live one, amongst one another in peace and in love. And Father, if there's any relationships that are, that are hurting today, I pray that people would commit to make it right as soon as possible when they leave this place or before they leave this place. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you'll take the the container that you possess uh, with the bread and open that up, uh, we'll read out of uh, 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, We're told that we are supposed to take of the body together. It is his body which has been broken for us. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 24 say, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The death of Christ on that cross was not a pretty picture, but it was a necessary event. And when he hung on that cross, he not, not only was his flesh pierced, but his blood ran red. So as we take up the cup together, it is his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And, and the Bible calls it the new covenant. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five 25 says, In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then the, the wonderful reminder. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So folks, listen, we have just proclaimed the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have proclaimed very clearly that he's coming again. So when we consider this big idea for today, it's our future resurrection gives us gospel-centered responsibility for living today. I'll ask you the question, and I'd like you to leave here thinking about it. Are you ready to serve the Lord. Because we, as the body, as a healthy body, we need you to be serving. And you may be too tired, and you may be too busy, and you may, uh, you may just not have experience. It's okay, because in Christ, any work that you do in Christ is not in vain. God will use it to grow you, to mature you, to mature others. And if you need a break, by all means, that is a legitimate answer. Take a break. But then when you're arrested, say, Coach, let me get back in there and serve. There's not a single Christian who should not be serving within the body of Christ. And you might think that looks like any number of things that you have the wrong thinking in your head. No, there are so many different areas you can serve in. All, and, and, and what's going to happen over the coming months is we're actually, if, if people don't volunteer in certain areas, saying, I really think that God's gifted me to work here, we're going to start looking at your, at your fruit, at what God is doing in your life, we're gonna, as we get to know you, and we're going to start tapping you on the shoulder. And we're going to say, would you mind helping us in this particular ministry? And would you please consider saying yes? I'd prefer you beat us to the punch 
and just uh, volunteer and say, I want to serve the Lord in this capacity. Can you help me and let us help you? All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, this time that we've had this morning. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it changes lives. May it continue to do so through this local body. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.